Bulletproof Radio, a state of high performance. You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. Everyone's talking about red light therapy beds and for good reason. There's a company called ARRC LED that's building an entirely new class of LED devices. ARRC LED beds integrate proprietary scanning technology and frequency protocols to shape the delivery of six different wavelengths in dose-optimized photobiomodulation. Yes, that's a lot of words. What it is, though, is that photobiomodulation improves the underlying energetics of the cells in your body. And those changes can benefit nearly every tissue and organ and system in your body. You change your cells and you change your life. For more information, visit ARRCLED.com. What if there was a way to feel younger for longer? Well, there is. Your body needs something called the NAD plus molecule to help you age well. When you're young, your body makes a lot of NAD plus, and that helps you make energy. It helps you keep your DNA healthy, absorb nutrients well, and it protects your cells from stress. But once you hit about 30, your NAD plus levels start to drop. The good news is that longevity scientists have found some things that can help, like niacin, niacinamide, and niagen. They help your body make more NAD plus even as you age. All three of these are in an amazing formula called Qualia NAD+. Check out Qualia NAD+, risk-free, for up to 100 days at neurohacker.com slash Dave15 to save an extra 15%. That's neurohacker.com slash Dave15, Qualia NAD+. It's what I use. Today's cool fact of the day is that the longest record for someone staying awake is 264.4 hours. That would be 11 days and 24 minutes. Kind of a long amount of time, even if you're on Bulletproof Coffee, ProVigil, Adderall, and uh, all the other crazy stuff that you could do to stay awake and that you probably shouldn't if you're that tired. What if there was a way to level up your energy, get rid of stress, and take more control of your body? Welcome to Quantum Upgrade. This is a new technology that taps into quantum energy to help you feel amazing. Quantum Upgrade has a lot of different products that help protect you from EMF and help activate your body's natural healing abilities. You can expect better sleep, more resilience, less stress, and better blood flow. The cool thing about Quantum Upgrade is that the products are backed by a lot of heavy-duty scientific studies, and there's a new measurable upgrade. You can now use Quantum Upgrade to increase your consciousness levels between 1,400 and 2,200 on the Hawkins map of consciousness. If you don't know what that means, do some research because it's impressive, it's fun to learn about, and it's something that I've come to understand. Ready to try Quantum Upgrade? Visit quantumupgrade.io slash Dave for a seven-day free trial. Today's podcast is going to be particularly cool because we've got a guy on who's a really well-known expert in something that I don't talk about that much on the Bulletproof Executive. We talk about human performance, but we don't often talk about financial performance. And one of the things that I've learned over the years of spending $300,000 on upgrading my performance and getting my brain to work the way I wanted it to work is that it takes money. And it's easier to do things like that when you have a solid financial base. So I've invited 
Tom Corley, the author of Rich Habits, The Daily Success Habits of Wealthy Individuals, onto the show to talk about not necessarily biohacking or being healthier, but to talk about the financial side of success and what we can do uh, as just human beings to ensure or at least encourage our own success. Tom, you've studied for five years daily activities of 233 wealthy people and 128 people in poverty to find 200 daily activities. That's what you're here to talk about today. Thank you for joining the show. Hi, Dave. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. You're doing something else new that's really interesting as well. You're, in fact, you just turned in your manuscript for Rich Kids, How to Raise Our Children to Be Happy and Successful in Life. I've written a book about epigenetics. I think that success starts really in your grandmother when just about when she's conceived <laughs> because <laughs> of the epigenetic impacts that roll down through multiple generations. How what your mother ate when you were in the womb really affects what your physical meat is capable of today. So even if you follow the rich habits, if your parents got it wrong, you're at a disadvantage. You know, all, all men are not created equal, not in the world that I see through the lens of epigenetics. Some have more skills than others, and through hard work, we can all achieve all sorts of amazing things, but it's harder if your parents didn't do it right. So I'm, I'm stoked to see talking about building habits in kids so that we can avoid some of the pitfalls that many people go through, especially in their 20s. Uh, what are the habits that people should care about the most uh, if they want to be successful? Like, what did, what's your number one thing out of this list of 200? Well, boy, that's a loaded question. <laughs> There's so many of them. But I'll tell you, the one thing that I found that is responsible for most of the success that the, the wealthy people have is a daily self-improvement. And predominantly reading that relates to what you do for a living. Uh, 30 minutes a day was the average time that the wealthy people spent every day uh, reading something that had to do with their career or something that uh, had to do with gaining knowledge that they could, uh, help, you know, leverage at some point to help their customers, clients, or anybody. Uh, and um, the other thing I found was building relationships. To the wealthy relationships are like gold. It's the currency of the wealthy, Dave. And uh, they go to great lengths to build strong relationships with specific people. They just don't build relationships with anybody. Uh, if they decided that, that Dave Asprey was going to be a, a relationship they wanted to develop, one of the individuals in, in my study, he called, he would call you a relationship tree and he would say he was going to plant you in the ground and his goal uh, by the time he ended his career or his life was to turn you into a redwood. He wanted to know everything there was to know about Dave because that information is powerful and it could help him in some way, shape, or form to help you. Now, my background is computer science. I was raised by geeks in, in the wild. And uh, there's a sort of, of mindset that comes in a lot of the readers here. We're like, that's manipulative or that's that's slimy or you know that's using people or you know you only went to school to get relationships and that's a, a, some form of privilege that's not based on ability or merit how do you respond to that when you find out this is what wealthy people do well a lot of the wealthy people uh, while they're building these relationships are on board of directors of nonprofit groups civic groups they're helping to build hospitals they're helping for example I'm on a uh, ever since I found out about this research, I joined a, a bunch of nonprofits, and I'm on the board of directors of an organiz organization that helps kids with cancer. So, you know, you could uh, look at it 
any way you want. But at the end of the day, they're helping a lot of people by building these relationships. You know, these relationships are a two-way street. They, uh, you scratch my back, I scratch yours. Well, along the way, a lot of people uh, benefit from uh, that back scratching. I find it to be something I, I wasn't raised to do that, uh, to even recognize the value of those relationships. But as I've, as I've matured, that seems like amazing advice. And all of the most successful people that I've been fortunate to spend time with in, in Silicon Valley and, and elsewhere uh, do the same thing. They will pick up the phone. They'll call someone they want to get to know. They'll arrange activities that they want to do to connect to the people that they value. And I, I'm fortunate that sometimes I'm included in that list. Uh, and it it's a dance, and it seems like one that successful people do do, and they don't do it because they're trying to use other people. But you have an hour. Who are you going to spend it with? Right? You might yeah. as well structure that consciously instead of just going to a bar and figuring out whatever happens, right? Yeah, I call it the relationship seesaw. And what wealthy people try and do is uh, uh, surround themselves with other wealthy, successful people because when, when wealth comes together – uh, you can do a lot of good with that wealth. You can do a lot of good with your, your Rolodex, your, your contact yeah. database. And um, what wealthy people try and do is uh, tip that relationship seesaw so that uh, most of their relationships are success relationships. Uh, and one of the things that they try and do is, is limit uh, the time that they spend with what I call poverty relationships. Those are the relationships with negative people, people that are cynical. They have really, they don't add any value. They're, they're more like vacuum cleaners, you know, yeah. uh, the, the, by building these successful, valuable relationships, uh, they do a lot of things besides what we talked about. I had one individual in my study who was a big wig at a bank in New York. He ran their commodities group. And, um, during the January of 2009, everybody remembers what was going on back then, uh, he lost his job and he lost $600,000 a year in pay uh, for two weeks. He made a couple of phone calls. I, I remember one of them was to me and he said, boy, you know, uh, I just lost my job. And I said, well, that's too bad. And he goes, yeah, I'm not worried about it. I, I'm going to make a few phone calls. I'll, I'll find something. And within two weeks, he had... Um, another job and then he called me up and he said, yeah, I got a job. I think it's going to be even a, a better job, more potential for earning money anyway. And I said, how did you do it? And he said, oh, well, you know, all, over all the years, you know, I, he did, along with a lot of the wealthy people, they did certain things, a hello call, happy birthday calls, life event calls. They stayed in touch. They did everything in their power to help build the relationships they wanted to build. And so uh, when he fell into that abyss, all he had to do was throw out a lifeline, a phone call, a couple of phone calls, and within two weeks he had uh, another job. And that's what those powerful, successful relationships do. They bail you out in a time of need, uh, and not just uh, help you make money, but they bail you out when you really need them the most. It's a form of resilience that, you know, just like you can recover from an accident or something or, or from a heavy workout, or you can drink more vodka than the next guy because you built resilience in. Building into your career matters. This happened to me, actually. Um, I was at a, a security company in Silicon Valley. We had planned to lay off. I fought like hell to protect my team, the guys working for me, and I did. None of them got laid off. And I was assured that I was also protected, knowing full well that I was probably at risk because my team was all really good. So you don't need the boss when you've got people who can execute. Uh, mm -hmm. And sure enough, the, the morning of the layoff, I'm like, I'm not invited to the right meetings. I'm like, oh, great, I'm on the list, even though like two days ago they promised I wasn't on the list. And I didn't mind being on the list, but they didn't give me the benefit of a runway. So I came home 
from what was already going to be a rough day because anytime there's a layoff, it's painful. And mm-hmm. I found, you know, I don't have a job. And uh, honestly, my wife, Lana, kind of freaked out a little bit, but I'm like, I'm going to make a few phone calls. Just like the story you said, that's what made this come up in my mind. I'm going to make a few phone calls. And uh, I had a job as an entrepreneur in residence at, uh, at Trinity Ventures within a few days. And that was a remarkable time in my career because I got to see what what startups experience on when they're pitching on the VC side, but I got to see it from the VC's perspective, which was really valuable for me. So it, it's kind of a weird... Uh, a weird thing to just look at any time you're laid off as an opportunity to expand if you built resilience and safety buffers in. And like I said, it's about the people and more specifically the people you've helped. Um, so I, I think that piece of advice for everyone listening to this is, is, you know, don't look at everyone as who's going to hire me later, but just how can you help them? Because they might help you back or they'll help someone else and it works out. So uh, this is beautiful advice. I love it. You pay a lot of attention to this because when you were nine, your <laughs> Family went from basically millionaires to nothing. What happened? Can you tell me a bit about that? Yeah. My dad, you know, there's four types of luck, Dave. There's random good luck. There's uh, random bad luck. And, and those two types of luck are fairly democratic. Uh, they affect rich people and poor people equally. Uh, and then there's the, the types of luck that wealthy people and poor people create. Wealthy people create opportunity good luck. And um, poor people create detrimental bad luck. My dad... Uh, was the victim of random bad luck. His, uh, the warehouse burnt down, and, and back in those days, they didn't, have, you know, he had, uh, I don't know, four or five million dollars worth of tools in inventory and lost most of them. And they didn't have insurance like they do today. Uh, so uh, he had to stroke a check uh, to his vendors for about four million, which was all the money he had. Uh, and um, he, you know, he could have filed for, for bankruptcy because at the time I remember. I didn't know anything about it, but as I got older, my dad said, yeah, I was probably, you know, half a million dollars uh, insolvent at that wow. point. And uh, he said, but that's, you know, that doesn't, bankruptcy is not the solution. He, he said, the solution is getting back up on your feet and starting all over again. And he, he was fortunate enough to have some rich habits. Not many, but he had a few rich habits that helped drag him back up. And it took years, uh, but when... Um, when he retired, he, you know, he had a million dollars in the bank. Uh, so he went from, you know, being insolvent with eight kids, well, most of them young, uh, to uh, retiring with a million dollars in the bank. And that was because of some of the rich habits that he had. So at the time, were his rich habits conscious or were they just sort of things he'd picked up? I, I imagine most people's habits, mm-hmm. because their habits are not particularly conscious, cultivated habits. Um, Right. Did he pass these down to you or did you, is this all a result of your study? Cause you sort of didn't want to relive that experience. No, uh, the, the answer is, uh, he, he didn't pass these down to us, uh, really because he was never around. He was always working. Uh, and, uh, he, he was, you know, he was just one of these, uh, people that, uh, you know, he, he just, uh, tightened his belt and he decided I'm going to work my way out of this. And, you know, he was great at building relationships. That, that was no question. My dad was probably one of the most powerful people on Staten Island before he, you know, he fell off the, the mountain. Uh, he was a, a big, powerful, uh, behind-the-scenes political guy. And, uh, and all those relationships came. That was the one relation, rich habit that he had. He had that, um, you know, the, the rich habit of, of building these rich relationships. And they came, and, and each one of them 
bent, you know, bent over backwards to try and help my dad. It was, they were loaning him money. They were trying to get him uh, jobs. They couldn't do enough for him. And that's why we didn't lose our house. We came close uh, over, uh, from, until the time I was 23, uh, we probably had uh, about six or seven instances where we lo almost lost our house. Wow. Uh, so, so it was, uh, and you know, you lose your house and you got, we had 11 people living in that house. That would have been a disaster. So my dad was incredible that way in uh, keeping the family alive. And it, it was that, that rich habit of uh, building those relationships that really, that, that's why I think, and you know, that most of these rich habits that I've encountered were opened up my eyes because um, I didn't have my dad that had the conversation that sat down and had the conversation with me. I can tell you, when I uncovered these rich habits, I sat down with each and every one of my kids and then uh, explained the habits to them as I was uncovering them and all of the strategies that I uncovered. And uh, of course, when I wrote the book, I made each one of them read the book. And so, you know, they're, they're the beneficiaries of it. And I, I've got a guinea pig in my son who's 24 years old and he's working in the city and he's knocking it out of the park. He's one of the fair haired kids in his company because he is the beneficiary of these rich habits. And this is why uh, the parenting is so important and why I wrote the, you know, the rich kids book. Uh, parents are often the only success mentors any of us ever have a shot at having in life. Uh, you know, there's there's five ways you can find a mentor. Parents are predominantly the way. And so uh, if parents aren't doing their their job because they don't know what to do, uh, then the kids are going to grow up and they're going to pick up whatever habits their parents pass along to them. And this is why the rich get richer and the poor get poorer, Dave. It's, it's not because of Wall Street. It's not because of the government. It's not because of 15 other reasons. It's because of parenting. If parents know the rich habits, they can pass the, and, and not just parents, grandparents, they can pass along the rich habits to the kids or the grandkids and um, it, it can change their lives. It can turn them, it can break the generational cycle of poverty uh, at a very early age by indoctrinating the kids. Uh, you are going to achieve a lot of good with, with this book. Uh, I've been uh, involved with Junior Achievement, where you go in as you know a, a business person and you teach economics, usually to uh, poorer schools. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've done this in, in East Palo Alto, I've done it in, in Mountain View, like one was a rich school, one's a very poor school. And man, the difference in just the awareness and understanding of of the people in the classroom. You know, in in the poor school, it's like, well, what are you going to do to get a job? You know, I'm I'm going to buy insert name of large SUV with spinners on it, and <laughs> you, you go across the tracks, and it's so different. Just the the perception of economic reality is is wildly diverse. And if you, with your work, can teach parents to do this for their kids, a lot of people won't do things for themselves that they will do for their kids or even their pets. That's so right. since you're not going to have rich pets, rich kids was definitely <laughs> the, yeah. the right target for you. Um, yeah. When are people going to be able to get this book? Because honestly, I want to read it and make sure I teach my kids um, a lot of these habits that I probably don't know myself. But, well, I it's going to probably come out in... Um, late spring, we, we're okay. shooting for June 1st. Uh, we already know uh, that it's, uh, it, you know, Rich Habits was a, a breakthrough book. We already know this is going to have broader appeal uh, just because uh, I've sent out the manuscript to about 20 people. I'm part of uh, an organization that's tied into the Jack Canfield. Oh, yeah. 
he, he the Transformational at, Leadership Council? Is that the one? Yeah, well, it's the, the Breakthrough Success oh, okay, group. cool. And, um, and my publicist happens to be one of the trained the trainers uh, in his group. And, and you know, so I, I, they were the first people I reached out to to have them take a look at um, the manuscript for feedback. That's one of the big things that Jack talks about, feedback. You want to get feedback. So uh, I, I got a lot of feedback. And uh, what I sent out as, a, as the manuscript uh, changed very much. In fact, one individual um, ha was so, had such significant feedback that it took me about three days to revise the manuscript. Uh, and it took uh, about... I don't know, 14 hours during those three days to, to make those changes. So it was wholesale changes that I made. And I, I can't, I got to tell you that there is a lot to that feedback, um, rich habit, I guess you could call it. It's, there's, it's important to, you know, you're, you're always afraid whenever you create, Dave, uh, you're afraid of that feedback because yeah. um, it's just human nature. It's just the way we are. Uh, it, that's why you have to turn it into a habit. Uh, to seek that feedback, and I'm glad I did because it, it really transformed that that manuscript. It made it much better. Uh, so we're you know we're we're shooting for June first, and we think uh, we're going to have a blockbuster on our hands. Uh, it would not surprise me, and uh, when it comes out, I'd encourage people listening to this now to check it out. And when it's coming out, <clears throat> if I can have you back on the show uh, to uh, help you with your lunch, I'd be more than happy to. Uh, That's when very I, generous. When I look back on my own experiences as a biohacker, I realize I spent a lot of time and money undoing bad habits that I had, uh, including financial ones, but oftentimes health and nutrition and all the other things that we do. And just getting it right the first time is so much simpler for almost everything that humans do. So like, I, I'm really a supporter of that work. When people are looking at you know, being breadwinners for their families today, and you know, whether they have children or not, there are some other things that they should do. And you're talking about 30 days to change poverty habits. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah. we've talked about read more. I'm, I'm guessing if you did a, a, a brand new study, listening to interesting podcasts might also be on there with reading. Because when you're driving, you can't read. You might as well get that info into your head. Do right. you, does, the, yeah. does that supposition make sense to you? Yeah, well, the um, it's really two parts of your question. The, the well, I'll talk about the uh, rich habit, number one, which is the reinvention habit. Um, but uh, to, on your point about, um, you know, listening to podcasts, uh, you know, the wealthy people who, who were devoted to daily self-improvement, they were uh, not only reading, uh, they were listening to audiobooks. And, you know, back when I was doing this research, really podcasting was just coming into its infancy. Uh, so uh, podcasting wasn't a big deal, but they were big audiobook listeners, you know, when they were commuting in their cars or when they were on the bus commuting into New York City. Uh, they were listening or reading books during their commute. They weren't wasting time. And they were reading books that were related to uh, successful people, self-help, uh, career related. So the, the podcasting is, is going to be, uh, the, the thing, the eBooks and the podcasting, that's going to be the thing that most of this, uh, generation X and Y engages in, uh, to, for, with respect to the self-improvement. Uh, but it's not going to be any different that the, the rich habit is the same. You want to feed your brain with, uh, more knowledge, 
to create opportunities to make more money. Now, uh, you said reinvention is another habit there. How does yeah. reinvention come into play? Yeah, that 30-day thing, the, the, uh, I've done a lot of research on habits and, and, and how the brain works, the subconscious and the conscious, the conscious part of your brain. And five six of our brain is, is subconscious, so a lot of it has to do with um, our limiting beliefs or our belief system and, and our thinking. Uh, if we are engaged in or caught up in negative thinking, negative thinking is, is poverty thinking. Yeah. That's how poor people, they think negatively. They're, they're, they have negative thinking, they have negative emotions. What the rich habit number one does is it forces you uh, to self-assess by, um, and I talk about it in, in the book, uh, you list all of your bad habits. You've got to be brutally honest. I mean, this is about you. So you list all, all of your bad habits, and then uh, you invert those bad habits into rich habits through a simple process. For example, let's say... Uh, you watch too much TV, and, and the average uh, individual watches four and a half hours of TV, and now it's it's morphing into four and a half hours of internet-related stuff. Whatever whatever you want, you know. Yeah. Uh, recreational internet. Uh, the the generation Y now that's they they live on the internet. They're looking at YouTube's and everything. Kit cats and and unicorns. <laughs> and Break like dot that. com. Yeah. Yeah, wasting their time. Uh, so. so what the reinvention habit does is it forces you to uh, list your all your bad habits. And if one of them is you watch too much TV, you spend too much time on the Internet, your new rich habit is I uh, spent one hour today on the Internet and TV. And one hour is important because that's what uh, the majority, uh, the large majority of the wealthy people, they spent an hour or less watching TV or wasting their time recreationally on watching TV, uh, and that frees them them up, you know, to to do the self improvement stuff. Uh, if your if your poverty habit is, uh, you know, I I don't exercise uh, enough. Your new rich habit is I exercise 20 minutes or 30 minutes uh, aerobically today. It seems like the aerobic activity was the uh, you know, the exercise of choice among the wealthy. And the reasons for that they gave me was um, aerobic activity helps, is the best way to help reduce, uh, keep your weight down. It uh, gets your metabolism going, uh, gets your heart rate going, it, it gets oxygen in, into your uh, entire system and your brain. Uh, and uh, because it makes you more healthy, uh, it reduces the number of sick days uh, and that increases your productivity and it increases energy and that increases your productivity. So there's a lot of benefits to aerobic act activity that are wealth benefits, uh, productivity benefits. So, uh, you know, that, so what you do is you go through all of those bad habits, you invert them one by one. If you smoke cigarettes and that's a poverty habit, your rich habit is I didn't smoke a cigarette today. So you are essentially uh, every day you looking at your rich habit checklist and you create your own customized rich habit checklist based on your own poverty habits. And uh, if you are successful, that means you've, you've uh, checked off about 30 to 40% of your rich habits during the day. That's all it takes. And, and the interesting thing about the rich habits and, and it's their keystone habits, keystone habits are unique in the habit world in that uh, they dominate other ha habits. They, eliminate other habits. For example, aerobic exercise is a key, keystone habit. It can eliminate overeating, junk, eating junk food. It could eliminate uh, smoking cigarettes. 
you know, it has this derivative benefit uh, that almost without any willpower, your passion drives you because, for example, if, if you're, you are working out aerobically and you lose 10 pounds in, in a month and somebody says to you, hey, Dave, you look great, uh, that, ha that yeah. hits an emotional button. And this is the key. These rich habits are intended to, to stoke your emotions. And once that your emotion is stoked uh, and you say, wow, I like people saying nice things about me like I'm looking good. So I'm going to exercise more. I'm going to, you know, reduce the, the amount of calories I take in every day. I'm going to stop eating as much junk food as I do. And, and, and um, um, the wealthy people, uh, most of them, I think it was 87% ate less than 300 junk food calories a day, whereas 97% of the poor ate 300 or more junk food calories a day or more than 300 junk food calories a day. So it's, it's, these are all interesting things, uh, you know, that the wealthy people, uh, you know, do and they, they do it intentionally. So you could definitely look at, uh, look at taking care of yourself as a, a rich person habit. And a lot of the work that I've done uh, on myself was around how do I be more efficient at taking care of myself? because I'd like to have more time for self-improvement or more time for family or more time for work or economic activity, whatever it is. Um, but the, you know, the idea that, that changes in the, the assumptions there about not just avoiding junk food, but eating the optimal food and things like that uh, can just give you a mental edge that translates potentially into wealth or just free time or whatever else it is. That's right. What, what happens, Dave, is after the 30 days of following the Rich Habits, your new customized Rich Habit checklist, what, you, what everyone tells me and what I know what because I did it, uh, what they all, the feedback I get from them is, my gosh, you know, my mindset completely shifted. Uh, they go from negative to positive. Uh, their whole mental outlook becomes positive. They start uh, thinking positively. Their emotions are positive. And, and th that positivity, that positive thinking, those positive emotions, that's the path to success because that's we're getting into a little territory that, that deals with the subconscious mind. But the subconscious mind accepts programmings, programming uh, but through our beliefs, through our emotions. That's the emotions are the key to unlocking the uh, the doorway between the subconscious mind and the conscious mind. So when you uh, follow these rich habits for 30 days, you you trigger emotions, and the emotions start going to work by reprogramming your subconscious mind. And then that shift ma is magic uh, because then you start um, doing more. You expand the scope of what you're doing and you start building on the rich habits that you have. And they become like uh, snowflakes on a mountainside, Dave. They, they build up and they build yeah. up rich habits over time. And, and uh, you know, you ha end up having something I call an avalanche of success event. It might be a, a new job. It might be a promotion. It might be a new client or customer. It might be any number of things. It's uh, it's interesting how many small changes over time you know they just accumulate and they make something good happen like that. Yeah, no question about it. No question about it. It's a, it's the baby steps that count. It's, there is no uh, magic bullet other than your what I found, which is your daily habits are the key to success in life and they, they can make you rich or poor. So there's no magic bullet. There is none. Uh, it, it's your daily habits and it's the baby steps that are involved in, in building 
uh, and accumulating the wealth. And I talk about that in, in my book about how you, you know, there's three, really three uh, paths to wealth. There's uh, the living below your means, there's uh, expanding your means, and then there's doing both. So we talk about a lot of things in the book, but that, uh, those doing certain little things every day help you uh, accumulate wealth. And then, uh, you know, uh, you know, if you, if you just live by the one rich habit of the 80-20 rule, saving 20% and, and living off of the other 80%, if you started that at the age of 22 or 23, when you're, whenever it is you started working, uh, by the time you're 45, you'll have a million dollars in the bank. I don't care how, how much you make. As long as you're not, you know, at the poverty level, if you're, you know, the average Joe, uh, just starting out in life and, and, you know, today's dollars, you know, maybe making 30 or $40,000 out of college, you save that 20%, that will build up over time. And I promise you, by the time you're 45, you will have more money than any of your peers do. That is such amazing advice. And I, I wish I'd taken it. Um, I, I have a corollary there that uh, comes out of the Silicon Valley dot com boom. And that is uh, sell half. <laughs> when you have a really giant windfall, uh, take half of it uh, and and put it in your pocket. I, I had six million dollars um, of uh, vested stock that I could have and should have, and should have sold, but I didn't sell, and uh, I, I didn't do it because uh, I was blacked out. I wasn't legally allowed to sell it unless I quit my job. And what I should have done was quit my job and sold my stock. <laughs> <laughs> because I would, would, you know, that's set for life money when you're 26. And when I was 28, the company went bankrupt, and I watched it go down because I was afraid to take the money off the table. Uh, and you know, lessons oh. lessons learned. But for God's sake, I've worked an awful lot of years, uh, and I still don't have six million dollars. <laughs> like, you know, that, that's you know, FYIV money uh, to use the you know, FU invested kind of kind of thing. Yeah. yeah, that that that's a that's a sad story. But you know what? It's the school. It's a lot of this these rich habits because most of the parents don't teach this stuff. Yeah. Uh, thank God we can learn it through the school of hard knocks. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's a, a school of hard knocks story. And uh, a lot of the wealthy people, um, I wouldn't say a lot, but a good percentage of them in my study, uh, they didn't have parents who taught them the rich habits, but they learned the rich habits through the school of hard knocks. They started businesses. That's the great thing about being in America uh, or, or any country that allows you to start a business. You uh, can learn what to do and what not to do, uh, but the school of hard knocks is the hardest way to learn uh, because it costs you time and it costs you money, and usually you figure it out when you're in your 40s through the school of hard knocks and uh, you know, you're playing catch up. That's why I'm focusing so much of my attention on the kids, you know, and, 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 and when I should have been uh, focusing my energy right after I wrote rich habits uh, with the media, I chose a different path. I chose to spend 18 months talking to over 2000 high school and college students and giving away as many books. Uh, and each of those books cost me about $4. Uh, and I, I did that because every time I felt I started out doing it with my kids, high schools and colleges, and then I expanded it because I saw in each one of the kids that I went into, I saw their face. I said, you know, that, that, that's my kid. I'm going to teach them like they're my kids, just like I, I teach my kids. And I thought, well, I, if I can help this generation, even if five or six kids in the room out of 30 or 40 uh, get it. That's five or six kids that are going to be successful in life. 
uh, and I changed some lives there, you know. So that 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 to me was was more important than promoting the book on, on the media. It's an incredible motivator when you realize that an hour of your time can change someone's entire trajectory, and that's the same reason I do the, the bulletproof executive work. It's like you know, I, I get the feedback every day from people saying, you know, everything is different uh, because I figured out that little thing that you happen to mention somewhere. So same thing. One of those those kids will come back to you ten years later. I imagine you've probably gotten some 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 feedback like that, or saying, you know, thanks, you told me this, I did that, and what do you know? I'm I'm in a different place in my life. Do you well, hear it's, that? It's, it's, oh, it's, it's interesting that you brought that up because in 2011, uh, I, pretty, I, I, was, uh, I, I moved on to, uh, I wrote another book called The uh, Top 100 Cheapest Places to Retire in the U.S. US. And that was, uh, I decided Rich Habits was, wasn't going to be successful, so I'm moving on. Uh, and then I got an email in February of 2012 from a reader who said that the rich habits helped change their life. Uh, and, and they, they said, you know, your book was, was great. It was even better than, than the wealthy barber. And I confessed, I did, had never heard of the wealthy barber, but I did a little research and I found out that it was written by a Canadian. He sold two and a half million copies. Wow. And yeah. And so I, I shot, I took the email that I got from the reader and I forwarded it to the author, David Chilton. And it basically said, my book is better than your book. Right? <laughs> uh, but you know, nice. I was, what, I was really, what I was really trying to do is find out how the heck, if I have a better book, according to this reader, uh, how the heck did he sell two and a half million books and I'm struggling? At yeah. the time, I don't think I had, you know, besides the 2,000 books I gave away and the 2,000 books I sold at libraries and stuff, uh, I really didn't have many books sold. So... I wanted to know, and, and I'll, I'll be darned if the guy called me within about a minute. And it, the, the first thing he said to me was, so your book is better than my book, right? <laughs> uh, and, and then I, I, I got him on the phone, and, and I guess that was the hook, and I asked him, I said, David, how the heck did you sell two and a half million copies? And he said, you got to conquer the media, Tom. It's, you know, yeah. TV, radio, print, and digital. Uh, so... Um, I, I did, you know, I decided at that point I was going to, he, he led me to, uh, down a path to, by um, having me read a book and, uh, that he was in on how to promote your book. So I read it and that led me to another person. And next thing I knew I was, um, I was doing interviews on 150 radio stations and, um, that led me to my, my publicist and, uh, and I'm glad I didn't quit, Dave. And this is one of the things that I, I sh you know, I should have learned from my my own research. I should have taken a page out of my own book. Focus, persistence, and patience. That was uh, one of the three characteristics that that set wealthy people apart from poor people. Uh, and uh, here I was, you know, violating that because I was essentially moving on and giving up on rich habits. But then I got back on and I persisted. And um, uh, I eventually um, Yahoo Financially Fit they. They caught an article that I had written, and they liked it, and they decided to interview me, and they have a very popular show called The Financially Fit, and they came in here uh, with their TV crew, and uh, they, the interview went viral. Uh, they never had more than 800,000 hits on their website. They had 2.2 million hits within wow. 24 hours, and one of the people that um, read, read or watched the video was Dave Ramsey, the number three radio host in the nation. 
and uh, he had me on his radio show. He was talking about the book for three days, and then he finally got me on his show. And uh, I went from, um, I don't know, 35,680-something on Amazon to number seven overnight in all books. I was ahead of J.K. Rawlings. I was ahead of, the, wow. at the time, the number one New York Times bestseller, Lean In. Uh, I think I sold 20,000, 25,000 books in three days. That definitely makes your day. I, I I spent five years writing my first book. Wiley published it. It's called The Better Baby Book, and it sold less than 5,000 copies. And it's the very best that I know how to write in, in terms of, of just knowledge and in terms of improving you know the entire life of a person. Uh, and I realized the same thing as you, that I don't know the book marketing game. It is complex. And I've been surrounding myself with successful authors and learning from them and helping them and uh, planning what I'm going to do for my next book and even to relaunch that book because I, I think the books are going to help people, but they don't help people if no one reads them. And yeah, that's, right. that's, that's part right. of being an author is getting people to understand what's in it for them to read your book. So I'm, I'm really hoping yeah. that, that, you know, I can go down that same path with my book. In the meantime, the, I know my blog is helping people. I, I don't get you know, paid per copy on the blog, but I don't care. It's helping people. It, it's a good thing, right? Yeah. And, and I just, I just want to make, uh, there was one metaphor that, that David used that really, uh, resonated with me. He, you know, he, he, he asked me, you know, what it, we were talking and I, I guess I, I must've said something about tennis and, and uh, he said, well, you know, um, writing a book is like the first serve in tennis. The rest of the match is promotion. Yeah. And he said, that's what makes a successful author, not writing the book, the promotion activities that you have to do. And, and boy, I'm telling you, Dave, the guy was spot on. He is absolutely hundred percent right. The, the difference between a, a, a successful book and an unsuccessful book is the amount of promotion that you receive and, and the amount of effort that you put into promoting the book. Yeah, it, it's amazing uh, what what can happen there. Um, there's a, a comedian with a popular podcast named uh, Joe Rogan who came across my work on uh, Bulletproof Coffee and things like that. And, uh, you know, my blog was already getting pretty popular, but he started talking about it all of a sudden. And, you know, I'm, I'm really grateful that uh, you know that that just one thing like that, like you had with Yahoo, can can just help other people know about the work, and then you know, they can check it out and do things like that. So it's it's right. often serendipitous when something like that happens. Yeah. Now, now there's there's some other habits that that you talk about, and there I, I think you're learning from you know, someone who's really successful, which I think is a good habit in and of itself. But you said only six percent of wealthy people gossip. Um, <laughs> I, I maintain a no gossip rule in in the bulletproof company. We're a tiny company, but you know the rule is anytime you know someone someone's here, like we don't talk crap about someone. If if right. so, we get on Skype and we talk to each other face to face to just you know put it out there. Mm -hmm. So what what's the wealthy people don't gossip rule all about? Yeah, it's, you know that one. I actually thought that that statistic because uh, I tracked over 200, I think 207 data points I tracked that separate the wealthy from the poor. And that one was, was, was so glaringly set them apart. I thought, boy, maybe my data is wrong. And, um, <laughs> and, and, but what was, what was interesting is when I had the interview with Dave Ramsey, he said the same thing that you just said. He said, I, 
uh, that struck me that that one rich habit because uh, or that one difference between the, the rich and the poor. He said because I have a no gossip policy at work. Oh, he does. Wow. Yeah, I, and he's on the air. I have I have him recorded on the air saying that. And I, and I said, my gosh, you know this this statistic is spot on. Um, and you see, it wouldn't be gossip wouldn't be such a bad thing if all the gossip we were doing was was positive and uplifting <laughs> and building up people, right? That guy's just too good. I can't stand it. You're right. <laughs> He's such a great guy, that guy, Dave. You know, it, it, if it, that was the kind of guy. And, but I'll tell you what. Um, most of the people in life are struggling financially. Yeah. And the reason they're struggling financially is because they have a negative – they operate from a negative mindset. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the reason why they gossip and it's negative gossip is because of that. And so it's all connected. It's all interrelated. And, and this is why successful, wealthy people do not allow gossip in the office. They shut it down. They don't want any of that going on because they know it just creates problems and it damages relationships. It just destroys relationships. Yep. And, and so that that's why Dave had a no gossip policy. And that's uh, why you do because you understand that intuitively. I don't know how you, you know that, but I didn't know that. Uh, that was – at the age of 48, I, I learned that for the first time. And uh, I wish somebody told me when I was nine or 10, it, gossiping is bad, don't gossip. And I, I wish my parents told me that and I wish they enforced it. But that's unfortunately the majority or 95% of the population in this country, their parents aren't teaching them these kinds of things. I think the internet may have something to do with that too. It, it's so painfully easy to fall into the gossip trap, especially you know, when there's time delayed. You can send an email, you can post stuff in social media, and it just quickly devolves into gossip. So I, I, I've had to exercise a lot of restraint because it's one thing to say, you know, this rule is wrong or you know, this recommendation is not, is, is not a good one because it doesn't make sense. Another thing to say, you're a jerk and you know, you're blah, blah, blah. And you know, the obvious, anyone with integrity, they're their normal response to something like that is to, to gossip, right? You go back, yeah, well, you know. <laughs> so I've I've really been exercising um, my own self-control there around not turning my blog and things like that into a, a source of gossip because it's just not useful. Like, like you stick to the facts, stick to what's important, stick to positive relationships and say nice things about people who deserve it. And like, if you do that, I, I think it contributes to your wealth and certainly it makes everyone happier, even if it makes no one wealthier. And that's still a form of wealth in my book. Absolutely. You're spot on there. So let's talk about, uh, you mentioned exercise, you mentioned not eating junk food. Are there, oh, the other thing in your book that's particularly kind of cool, you talk about waking up early, like before sunrise and doing something for self-improvement. Why early instead of late? Like, isn't that yeah, a personal well, preference thing? Yeah, it's 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 a, a significant rich habit because uh, wealthy people in general wake up three hours before they actually get into their office or their place of business, wherever that might be. Uh, the interesting thing is what do they do with that three hours? And yeah. what they do, ra- there's a range of activities. Uh, it includes the, the daily self-help reading, the self-improvement reading. It includes the daily aerobic exercise. In some cases, um, wealthy people were mapping out their day, they're creating their to-do lists. In other cases, they were uh, writing speeches that they had to give. In other cases, they were preparing uh, lesson plans because they were adjunct professors teaching at night, expanding your means, rich habit. Uh, and, and they were writing books, they were writing articles, publications, they were doing any number of things that were positive, moving 
you forward kind of things, helping your career type stuff, helping your health type stuff, making your life better. And in those two or three hours that they, they spent in the morning, they got more accomplished productively. And in a lot of cases, they were uh, pursuing some uh, chief aim in life or main purpose, uh, part of the expand your means rich habit. You, they were doing something to uh, help uh, pursue some dream that they, that they had, uh, many of them. And um, that's something that they did before they even got to work. And then they did their job. Uh, and then they, at night, they would either do the same thing or they would do networking or building relationships and things like that. And then start the whole process all over again. And it's, it's like I said, it's, it's that, you know, uh, snowflakes on the mountainside kind of stuff. It builds up and it builds up uh, and it, 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 you have a, an avalanche of success event one day. Do wealthy people engage in uh, performance enhancing substance use? Uh, coffee would be an example, but other other things like do they avoid alcohol more? Do they, you know, what, what what's what's the the take on that? I've been just seeing a lot of questions about that from big media lately. Yeah, the uh, the answer is yes, and it's fifty five percent of the wealthy uh, stayed away from drugs and alcohol, uh, meaning they didn't abuse the drugs and alcohol. Yeah. Uh, whereas. Uh, it was, uh, boy, I wish I had it in front of me, but I think it was 63% of the poor admitted uh, to abusing it, uh, alcohol wow. and drugs. Uh, and it's not just alcohol. Uh, there's gambling. 77% of the people who uh, were in my poor group, they gambled on, uh, on the lottery at least weekly. Uh, and 94% and of the poor, of the, of the wealthy rather, uh, didn't. Uh, so the, the, all of these vices uh, that we know are bad, the wealthy people understand they stay away from because they, they, they don't want to lose money. They want to make money. And uh, the poor people, unfortunately, are picking up these habits uh, from, from home predominantly. They're yeah. their environment too, but predominantly from home. And uh, so, you know, you see, you see your father going to OTB and, you, you know, you say that's a, that's a normal thing. Normal people do that because my dad does it. He does it every week. So you do it. You pick it up and it becomes a poverty habit. Uh, my dad or my mom drinks a lot. And so, you know, you see that and you, you follow their poverty habit and you uh, drag that into your adult life. So what, the, you know, what the wealthy people do is if um, they learn that rich habit from home, they're very fortunate if they learn it from their parents. They don't have those poverty habits. But, you know, if they don't, they, they pick it up during life, either through the school of hard knocks or through a success mentor that they run into at work or a great teacher or through books. Books are a perf another a way to find mentors. Uh, so you, you can learn these rich habits um, and the right things to do uh, through those five ways. Parents, teachers, uh, you know, career in your career, you're a success mentor in your career or books or through the school of hard knocks. And are you a fan of Napoleon Hill, think and grow rich yeah, sort of yeah, school I, help self-improvement? Yeah. Yeah. I've, I must've read that book about a half a dozen times. <laughs> that book is really, you know, that guy was amazing. Yeah. Uh, I'm so far ahead of his time, but you know, he, I have to say he, he had a little bit of opportunity. Good luck. He stumbled into, um, Andrew Carnegie. Yeah, that's the story. He had to write an article for a paper, and they, you know, so they asked him to interview people. Like I guess Andrew Carnegie was on the list, so he went. And uh, Andrew Carnegie said, "This is my opportunity. 
to share my rich habits. And, and in his, his case, he was, he was really, what came out of that was, was more than just thinking grow rich. It was the concept of the mastermind group. Yeah. Uh, you know, using um, people, building relationships with people, uh, surrounding yourself with people. And, and the mastermind is an interesting thing because I think, I think 99% of the people get the mastermind wrong. A mastermind group really <laughs> only works if everybody is doing the same thing. Uh, if everybody's writing a book, if you're writing a book, find four other authors who are writing books and that becomes your mastermind group. I've done, tried mastermind groups, probably three or four of them in the past, and they never work because every, one guy is doing this, one woman's doing that, and everybody's got their own agenda. Uh, the real value of, of a mastermind group, uh, and this is what, what happened with Andrew Carnegie, is they were all pulling the same card. They were all doing the same thing. That's when a mastermind group has real value. What's the biggest size of a mastermind group that would work, in your opinion? I, I think if you have more than six people, you're uh, going to run into time constraints because six people, you can, you can run a mastermind group with six people in an hour. Uh, yeah. And you, if you go above six people, you're, you're going to run into problems. And, and you know, it's like anything else. That's why the 20 to 30 minutes of, of aerobic exercise is such a good number because people will do 20 to 30 minutes. People will do a mastermind group that's 40, 45 minutes tops an hour. Uh, you know, they'll push away when it's, they'll find it too time consuming eventually and drop out. Yeah, that, that makes good sense. I, I've been exploring masterminds lately and there's an awful lot of them forming and all, all of them seem to have an economic reason to be big. But you know, what you want to do is spend really good quality time with a small number of high quality people, right. which makes it less of a business model, but maybe more impactful. That's right. Well, there's a, a question that I'm really eager to ask you. And this is a question that I've asked everyone who's come on on more than 100 episodes of Bulletproof Executive Radio. And it's the, the final question of the interview. It's what are the top three recommendations you would have for people who want to perform better in their lives? And this isn't just from your book. It's from your entire life's experience, three most important pieces of advice. I, I will tell you, it's no question. It's um, your limiting beliefs. Uh, the, the beliefs that we hold inside of us in our subconscious mind, those limiting beliefs hold you back in life. Uh, I, I don't know if you ever heard of Brian Tracy, but... A uh, guy, guy wrote a, uh, a book called The Psychology of Achievement, and he came out with an oh, audio program. Yeah. It was, uh, that actually, if it wasn't for Brian Tracy and that Psychology of Achievement, I would not have passed the CPA exam because at the time, I was under the impression I was dumb. You know, I grew up in a family of eight. I had, you know, a lot of older siblings, and there was they did not miss an opportunity to call me an idiot. So oh. I grew up honestly thinking I was an idiot. No, even though I occasionally got straight A's, I thought, you know, that was fluky. So I think your limiting beliefs uh, that you, you take with you into your adult life, I think those the limiting beliefs are, are the things that hold us back the most. I think um, people need to get out more and network and build relationships. I really think that's important. I think procrastination I, I, I talk about this on my Rich Habits website. I have five, there are really five strategies to avoid procrastination. I think if you can uh, make it a rich habit not to procrastinate, and it's a big if, uh, but wealthy people uh, have tools that they use to help them. Those three things uh, I think are really critical to success in life. 
Um, thank you for that uh, well thought out list. Uh, I imagine having studied 200 habits like that, you were going to have some pretty epic answers. So that's <laughs> that's really cool. Thank you. Would you, uh, Tom Corley, please let people know your URL, your Twitter handle, and the other ways they should reach out to you and how they can get on the list for your new book? Because if you are planning to have kids or you already have kids, I think this is going to be like a really important book. And I, I want an advanced release of it as soon as I can read it. I'll start teaching my kids. Yeah, no worries. Uh, the uh, rich, richhabits.net is uh, the heartbeat of, of really everything uh, that I'm trying to um, articulate with the rich habits. I have all my research data on there, all my research articles, um, and uh, there's a lot of reports, and you can even get some. Uh, we're, we're creating, we have a couple of ebooks that we're uh, going to put on there real soon. Uh, and so if they go on richhabits.net and my Twitter handles Rich Habits and my Rich and my Facebook is Rich Habits and Tom Corley is my LinkedIn. So uh, we're exploring this new thing called Hootsuite. I think it's you yeah. probably know it better than I. Uh, do, we use it every day. Yeah, I I don't know anything about it. it it's, it's just uh, a good interface for all those things. So when you say something yeah. once, you can say it everywhere instead of right. saying it ten it's, times. It'll, it'll save you enormous time. You'll love it. Yeah. So I've got. I mean, that's that's really Rich Habits uh, is uh, the. You know, you the, type the main Google place. Rich Habits, trust me, you'll, it'll be like four <laughs> or five pages thanks to the media. Yeah, you're, you're pretty well known and uh, your work is, is worthy of respect and, and is worth the people yep. who are listening today. It's worth their time to read your book and I believe your next one as well. I can't wait to see it myself. Tom, thanks again for being on the show. Uh, thank you, Dave. I really appreciate it. If you're driving today in your car in traffic or maybe watching us on iTunes or on YouTube, thank you. I really appreciate your time today and uh, did my best not to waste it. If you appreciated this and you enjoy a good cup of coffee, hey, check out Bulletproof Coffee. It's on UpgradedSelf.com and I'm about to publish some amazing new research on what's actually in the coffee and the level of toxins in coffee and where this all comes from. And at the end of the day, it's all about performing better up here, which requires that you perform better down here. If you're listening, up here is your head and down here is your heart. Have a great day. The Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.